we make that our prayer? That may it be, come what may, in this dark and broken world, in conflict, may it be, come what may, that we would be the kind of people who rest all of our days. We rest in the truth that Jesus is good. He's better than everything else. He's good and will be good to his people. We're gonna pray for ourselves that prayer this morning. And like we do most every week, we'll pray for another church in our community because we're not the only church of Jesus in town and we want the blessing of God on all of his people. And so today we're praying for Pastor Malcolm Wild, the lead pastor at Calvary Chapel, Merritt Island. And we wanna pray that Pastor Malcolm and those that he leads would be filled with the knowledge of Jesus and rest all of their days in the goodness of Jesus. Can we make that our prayer? Let's bow our heads together. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the goodness of Christ. We make this very prayer, not because we are good, but because Jesus is. And in his goodness, he has gone on our behalf, in our place, to the cross and borne our punishment and pain and shame. And in his goodness, by his grace, he makes us good. We praise you for Jesus. And God, as we study your word, we ask that you would fill us with hearts that believe more and more that Jesus is good. Not because Jesus gets better, but because we would see him more clearly. We would see how good he is today. So do that in us, I pray. And Lord, I ask that you would give us rest. That in this world that's filled with so much striving, we would not leave working hard. We would leave resting in Jesus so that Christ would work hard through us in a mighty way. And we pray that not only for ourselves, we pray that for the people of God we're gathered all throughout this community. And Lord, I pray for Pastor Malcolm Wild and the family of believers, our brothers and sisters who are Calvary Chapel, Merritt Island. Thank you for them, Lord. Thank you for their partnership in ministry. I thank you for Pastor Malcolm's ministry to preach the Bible. Lord, I thank you for how you've used him over and over again to invest in the lives of people for so many years in this community. And I pray that today there would be a renewal in his heart and the people that he leads, Lord, that they would know and love and live and proclaim the gospel and their hearts would be thrilled. I pray you'd allow them to bump into some of us this week and we'd all just talk about how good Jesus is as one big family. I pray for your people. I pray for us. And I ask all of these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, would you go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We're picking up where we left off on our verse-by-verse study of the book of Galatians here in Galatians chapter 5. You know, throughout the uh, 80s and 90s, there was one television journalist who just seemed to always be the one to get the exclusive interview with almost every notable person in the world, whether it was Fidel Castro or Muhammad Ali or Monica Lewinsky or the younger version of Vladimir Putin. If anything significant happened in the world, chances are a woman named Barbara Walters 
was going to sit down and do an interview with them. And there's one question that Barbara Walters was known for. Does anybody know that question? Literally, nobody knows that question. Well, you're going to learn at least one thing. It was this. If you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? In an interview with Katherine Hepburn, Barbara Walters asked her that question as a sort of follow-up. And through the rest of her career, as she was interviewed by people, as individuals wanted to learn more about her life and her career, the one question that came up for Barbara Walters over and over again, and I don't know why I know this if none of you do, but it was this, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? And I thought about that question this week as I was studying this text, and And the reason I did that was because you could think of the truth we'll learn in our text this morning through the lens of that question. Let me tell you what I mean. If your Christianity were a tree, what kind of tree would it be? More specifically, let me say it this way. If your particular version of the Christian life were a tree, would it be a Christmas tree? I love Christmas trees. Would it be a Christmas tree or would it be an orange tree? Now, here's the story. I don't expect anyone in this room to understand what I mean by that question. But here's what I'm hoping. You'll ask that question again. And by the end of our time together, you'll understand exactly what I mean. So with that question in mind, let's look at our text in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. Verse 16 says this, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Notice the word Spirit is capitalized. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the Word of God for us today. And if you were here two weeks ago, you might remember that Two weeks ago, we walked through this same exact text, and we spent our time focusing primarily on the first five verses of this passage. So let me just give you a quick recap of what we saw. First, we saw this, that our flesh is at war with God's spirit. That's exactly what he says in verse 17. We are all living in a battle, a spiritual battle. And it's not just the battle of darkness all around us. It's not just the spiritual forces that are at play all throughout our world. There is a battle that's not just around us. There's a battle that's within us. Our flesh 
is at war with God's spirit. And we looked at Galatians and defined flesh as the self-reliant, self-centered nature we all have because of sin. Sin has twisted our nature, corrupted our nature as people, and it has expressed itself largely through self-reliance and self Centeredness. If you want to learn more about that, you can look that uh, passage up or that message up from two weeks ago. But that's what we see in our human nature. We're constantly being drawn in our self-reliance and in our self-centeredness to expressions in a lifestyle of sin that is described in verses 19 through 21. But the good news of the gospel is that God has graciously made a way for us to live in victory within that battle and his provision for our victory is the Holy Spirit. That's the next thing we saw. God's Spirit brings victory over our flesh. You don't have to live defeated. You can go into a battle knowing that you will win the battle. And can I take a, a quick time out right here? You care if I take a quick time out? I would like to let you know how my battle with Jack ended from last week. <laughs> Because I know I tell these stories, and then when I get to the point that it serves my illustration, I don't tell you guys the rest of what happened. Anybody want to hear what happened with Jack? That's why you showed up today. I get it. Here's what happened with Jack. Nothing. Oh, yeah. Praise the Lord, right? Over the weekend, Jack must have forgotten that he threatened to beat me up. The grace of God wiped his memory clean. We got to school next week, and it was like nothing happened. He just continued eating black crayons, and I just continued shuddering in fear. And that was the rest of the story. Very anticlimactic, why I pulled it out of my Easter sermon. It really brings a downer on the room. So that's what happened with Jack. But in a Christian life, as we go through the battle over sin, God has made a provision that in that very real battle we all face every day, we can live in victory by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. As a matter of fact, it's a promise that's in this text, that if you will walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the sinful desires of the flesh. And our big idea then became this. The Spirit of Christ in us gives victory to us when we rely on Him and not ourselves. That's what we saw two weeks ago. And friend, if you weren't here two weeks ago, and even if you were, I want to just make sure we hear that very clearly since we just read that in God's word. You don't have to live defeated in sin. It doesn't matter what the patterns of sin are that you've encountered in your life. It doesn't matter the addictions that have held you captive for as long as you can remember. It does not matter how weak you felt as you walked in This morning, it does not matter the challenges you know that lie ahead of you this week in your relationships, in your world. You know how hard it's going to be for you to drive home on Courtney Parkway. You already know it. And some of you have already gone ahead and marked your week with certain defeats because you've never been able to have victory over your own sin. You need to hear the good news of Jesus today. You don't have to live defeated in sin. You are able to live in victory over sin. You see, the Bible promises that for every person who will place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, if you'll trust that Jesus lived the perfect life you failed to live, that he died as your substitute, as a sacrifice for your sin on the cross, and not only did he die, 
Jesus rose again. If you'll believe the truth about Jesus in a way where you depend on the work of Jesus to make you right with God, the Bible says this, everyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus becomes a child of God. And Romans 8 says, if you are a child of God, then the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. You don't have to live defeated because if you're trusting in Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. That's awesome news. That is good news. But that's not all the good news there is. You see, living in victory over sin is only one description we find here of the life the Spirit enables. Look again at verses 22 and 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Notice this. Not only does the Spirit of Christ enable us to say no to the sinful desires of the flesh. The Spirit of Christ enables us to say yes, to step in to the very life of Jesus, to live with the character of Christ. And I really want you to notice that. I hope you notice that subtle contrast that Paul is making between these two different kinds of life. He's contrasting the sinful life of our flesh and the Christ-like life of the Spirit. And when he contrasts those things in this passage, he describes the sinful expressions of our flesh there in verses 19 through 21 by describing them as works, right? The works of the flesh. And then when he describes those works... He names very specific acts of sin that we do. He talks about what we do, the actions of our life. But when he contrasts that with the life of the Holy Spirit, I hope you notice there in verses 22 and 23, he doesn't describe it in terms of our conduct, right? Those are not conduct words. Those are character words. He describes the life of Christ's spirit in terms of our character. And friend, that is a major truth that's worth stopping for a moment to talk about. The Christian life is an inside-out kind of life. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus changes us from the inside out. Do you know that? What I mean is, is that Jesus works inside our character in order to change our conduct He transforms who we are as his way to change how we live. And that's exactly why the Christian life can't be boiled down to a list of do's and don'ts. If your Christian life is a list of do's and don'ts, you don't understand the Christian life. Verse 18 says we aren't under laws of do and don't because laws cannot change our character even if they influence our conduct. Do you know that? There are callous people in Christianity who don't understand that concept. They measure their spiritual maturity by keeping their own personal checklist of do's and don'ts. And guys, I want you to know that's not an indicator of spiritual maturity. Listen to this, guys. Conduct is no guarantee of character. Can I say that again? Conduct is no guarantee of character. Did you know that it's entirely possible to do all the right things for all the wrong reasons? Did you know you can serve the homeless from a heart of pride 
handing them food, taking care of their needs with pride in your heart, hoping someone from work will drive by and see the good deed you've done. It's called pride. That's a good thing in a bad way, a motive that spoils the entire act of conduct. You can serve your spouse out of selfishness. Do you know that? You can do all the things you know your spouse would want you to do, hoping to manipulate their heart to get what you want from them. That's not selfless service. That's greedy manipulation. You can serve your customers from work, not for their well-being, but for your own pocketbook. That's called greed, hoping that if you'll do these things to make them feel a certain way in your job, your sales will increase and so will your income. You can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. That's why the Christian life is not measured by conduct. It's marked by our character. So if you want to know an indicator that you're growing in your walk with Jesus, I want to encourage you, do not start by looking at your conduct. And that's how most of us learned how to live the Christian life. We, we measured our conduct. I used to say this many bad words every week. I'm down a whole 25%. I'm becoming more like Jesus, right? I used to have this much to drink more than I should, and now I'm only drinking this much more than I should. I'm improving. I'm becoming more like Christ. I want to encourage you as you are asking for an indicator in whether or not you're growing in your walk with Jesus. Church, do not start by looking at your conduct, which is the one thing most of us look at. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Would you start to ask the Spirit of God to reveal your character? Let me ask you a couple questions. Am I becoming more loving the older I grow? Am I becoming more at peace and more peaceful to those around me the older I grow? Am I becoming more joyful? And do the people in my life experience greater joy when they're with me than they did before? Am I becoming more patient? the older I grow. Ask the Spirit to show you that answer. And if you wait too long and become impatient, ask your wife to show you the answer. Are you becoming, is my character becoming more like Jesus, more kind, more gentle? Guys, there is no part of biblical Christianity that says we should grow joyless, cantankerous, divisive, mean, upset, bitter, angry, unloving, harsh, and judgmental the older that we get. Did you know that? That's not an indicator of Christ, even if you do all the right things. I attend Sunday school, I volunteer in this ministry, I give this amount of money, I even give more money than I used to give now that I have more disposable income. Those parts of our conduct are not indicators of our character. Ask the Spirit to reveal who you are, because Christ-like character is the expression of the Spirit's work, and absolutely conduct matters. We talked about that two weeks ago, because our character will produce conduct. You can't have one without the other, but you can't have one without the other. No matter what you do, it is not Christ-like 
conduct if it doesn't flow from Christ-like character. But there's something else you need to see here. When Paul's teaching this passage, he doesn't just emphasize our character over our conduct. What he's really doing is emphasizing the source of our character. When he talks about the expressions of our character in Christ, he says this is the fruit of what? The Spirit. This isn't the fruit of Titus or Emily. This isn't the the fruit of you. This is the fruit of the Spirit. He's emphasizing the source of Christ-like character. So the source of Christ-like character is not you. It's the Holy Spirit of Jesus living in you. He produces it. It's a work he does in us, not a work we do for him. And that's our big idea for this morning. The Spirit of Christ produces the character of Christ when we live by his power and not our own. Hear that word. The Spirit of Christ produces the character of Christ when we live by his power and not our own. Friend, listen to the word of God. Christian character is not something we produce on our own. It's something the Spirit of Christ produces within us. Do you agree with that? Amen and amen. And some of you might think, well, isn't that really self-evident from just reading these verses? And I got to tell you, I think it is. I think it's very self-evident. But it makes you scratch your head then and wonder, why is it that over 20 years in ministry, I can't tell you how many times I've heard Christians talk like Christian character is something that they have to make happen? Let me give you an example. I can't tell you how many studies I've done on the fruit of the Holy Spirit or been a part of. Uh, Quite a few years ago, we did a study on the fruit of the Spirit, and we spent in the group that I was in about nine or ten weeks looking at the fruit of the Spirit. That's how many of you have studied the fruit. So week one, we talked about love, and we talked about love, and we learned the Greek word agape and made a sound very spiritual. It's the Greek word that's translated love, and it's different than eros, which is a sensual type of love. We learned all the things about love, and then we talked about the practical applications of what love would look like in our lives and what love would look like in our culture. You know what we did next? We went out that week and tried to be more loving. Then week two came, and we had a hard week trying to love, and so we wanted to move on and talk about joy. And so we talked about joy and all the reasons we have to be joyful and all the things in this world that can rob us of joy. And then what we did at the beginning, you know what we did? We went out and we tried to have more joy. Same thing with peace. Week four came around. Nobody showed up because it was the week for patience. (laughs) So we talked through the, the idea of being patient. No matter what, be patient. No matter what, be patient. And then if you talked to me through that week and said, how's your week going? I just said, man, after that lesson on Sunday, I... I realize how much I need patience. So this week, I'm really focusing on being more patient. I am really trying hard to be more patient. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Anybody at all? Does that really? I'm going to try my hardest to be more patient. I'm focusing on patience this week as the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to try really hard to be more patient. Does there seem something strange about that phrase in light of our truth? I'm trying really hard to be more patient. You know what you know what that means? That means somewhere in our heart we think that patience is something we produce 
in our power. That's why we try really hard to make it happen. And that's what goes all the way back to the very first question I asked. If your Christianity were a tree, what kind of tree would it be? More specifically, if your Christian life were a tree, would it be a Christmas tree or an orange tree? You want to know what I mean by that? When we attempt to put character and virtue into our lives by trying our hardest to make ourselves people of that kind of character. We're living like Christmas trees, whether we know it or not. We're trying to decorate our life with things we think would be present if we were fully alive in Christ. We know that a follower of Christ has a life that's marked by love and joy and peace and patience. And so whether we feel like it or not, we try to put those things onto our life. We try to decorate our life for the people around us to see so that we look like we have love and joy and patience. We are trying to plaster onto our character things that aren't naturally there. Like a Christmas tree, our Christian life is all about decoration. Can I tell you a little secret about Christmas trees? And I know all of the parents who've been here for about 15 years are really worried about what I'm going to say next about Christmas. (laughs) Christmas secrets and Pastor Titus. Here's a little secret about Christmas trees. They're dead. (laughs) Did I like ruin a family Christmas secret there? They're dead. Those ornaments are fake. They may look like bizarrely colored oranges with bright colors, but I highly recommend you don't try to eat them. You know why? They're fake because Christmas trees are dead and it's only a matter of time before they wither away. And I cannot tell you how that truth has resonated with me. Because for the vast majority of my Christian life, my version of Christianity was Christmas tree Christianity. It was about little Sunday school Titus hearing his teachers talk of the virtues Christian boys and girls should have. Titus, you need to be more loving. Titus, you need to be more patient. Titus, you need to be more kind. And it was me living as though I had to leave that room and roll up my sleeves and decorate my life to look like I loved, to look like I had peace, no matter how dead I felt inside. No matter how much that lifestyle made me wither. And here's why my heart breaks. Because I know that I am not alone. And I know there are a number of people who come to this place every single week. And you know what your life is supposed to look like. And you can't find it in yourself to make it happen. But you just keep trying anyway. So you've learned how to fake it. You've learned how to fight with your wife in the car and turn the channel in the parking lot. So by the time you walk in, how you doing, brother? Fine, brother. Hello, my name is Titus. All is well in my world, right? While I wither and die inside. We decorate our lives with what we know Christianity is supposed to look like. And church, 
I want so much more for you. That's not Christianity. That's not, a, that's not even a version of Christianity. That's a false religion. It's a false religion of works. It's what Paul is attacking in Galatians. It will not result in life. It's Christmas tree decorations on something that's dead and withering inside. Are you a Christmas tree today or are you an orange tree? Because listen, orange trees are different. Orange trees are alive. I love driving by the orange orchards or groves or whatever they're called since I'm not a farmer. When the orange trees are in blossom. Do you love that? When the wind is right on the river, river and it's putting the smell over to cocoa. And here on Merritt Island, we can just breathe in orange blossoms. I love to drive by those orange groves with those blossoms. Even more, I love to see those little oranges start to appear on those trees and then grow and grow and grow. You know my favorite part of all? I love eating a really good orange. When I peel back that orange after three hours of work and half of it under my nails, I I love to look at that orange and see all of those individual sections of an orange. I think they're called carpels is what they're called. I think, maybe not, but I think so. Those carpels, those sections of an orange, there's something about me that finds it so satisfying to just look at that orange, all of those sections in symmetry right there in front of me, thinking of them all growing together in fullness. And then I love to take that bite tastes like a great orange, even though most of the time it's a tangerine, and I know all of you nerds would correct me on it, but I love that orange, and that is the Christian life. It's like an orange tree. Christians have life, not by their own power, but the power of the Spirit. That's why verse 25 says, live by the Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus gives us life, life we don't have on our own. By His Spirit then, His life produces fruit, and the fruit is like an orange. That's why Paul, when he says that it's the fruit of the Spirit, uses the singular form of that word fruit. It's one fruit made up of many sections, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all ripening and developing together over time. It's one of the reasons why we should never expect for a normal Christian life filled with the Spirit to be absent from any part of the fruit of the Spirit. So just because I may have lots of joy naturally doesn't mean I'm off the hook of being self-disciplined or patient because the Spirit of Christ develops all of the life of Christ in us over time. And many of us grow at different rates at different paces, but the Spirit is building all of these expressions of Christ's character in our life. And so my question for you is, is your life a Christmas tree kind of life or an orange tree kind of life? Are you trying to decorate yourself and your marriage and your family with things that look like the Spirit's fruit? Or are you relying on the power of Jesus and His Spirit in you to produce the life of Christ? And I want you to just remember something I said two weeks ago. Two weeks ago I said, you don't fix sin by focusing on sin. You you fix sin by focusing on the power of the Holy Spirit and walking by the Spirit. It's the same thing with Christian character. We don't produce Christ-like character by fixating on Christ-like character. It's one of the reasons why I felt like the Lord did not want me 
to go nine weeks in the fruit of the Spirit because I don't want us to fall into the trap of thinking we have to know what those words mean so we can go out and make them happen. It's a promise just like we found in verse 16. If you walk by the Spirit, whether you have a biblical definition of the Greek word agape or not, love will flow into your life because it's not something you make happen. It's not even something you have to understand. When you follow the Holy Spirit and live by Christ's power, he does it. You don't make it happen. And I would actually tell you, be careful about fixating on Christ-like character. And I know I earlier said, pray for the Holy Spirit to show you those places in your life where you are or are not growing in Christ-like character. But beware that you don't make that a fixation on Christ-like character. And here's what I mean by that. It's entirely possible that the more you become like Jesus, the worse you'll feel about yourself. Here's what I mean by that. The more you become like Jesus, the more you'll really know what patience actually is. So the more you'll be able to see where there isn't patience in your heart. And things 10 years ago that didn't even register as impatience, like honking the horn over again in the McDonald's drive-thru. That's just normal Ohio living, isn't it? That that didn't register as impatience, and now it will. So be careful to not fixate on Christ-like character because you won't have Christ-like character by fixating on Christ-like character. You will have Christ-like character by focusing on walking by the Spirit. And so as you read the fruit of the Spirit, as you read this text, the very worst thing that you could do today is to go out this week and try to live out these characteristics. The best thing you can do today is to just look to Jesus and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want to do in the time that we have left. I know there are some of you who are hearing me say over and again, don't try your best, don't try your hardest, don't roll up your sleeves, don't make this a work you do for God, and you interpret me to be saying, don't do anything at all. I don't mean that. Living by the Spirit does not mean you lay on your couch all day and just expect the Spirit to come and move in you. That's why Paul uses language like verses 16 and 25. He says in verse 16, walk by the Spirit. In verse 25, he says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Notice those are action phrases. It's describing something that we do depending and and requiring the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here's what I want to do in the time we have left. I want to describe by God's grace those things that we can do As we live in the power of the Holy Spirit that express and don't replace depending on the Spirit's power. I want to give you four practical things that I see in Scripture that we do as we walk by the Spirit as expressions of depending on the Spirit, not yourself. And I did something that I don't normally do. I made an acronym. And I don't normally do acronyms because I think that in order to try and spell the word correctly, you'd have a tendency to twist the truth. This just kind of fell in place for me, I pray. And so here's the acronym I want to give you this morning of walking or living in the Spirit. It's the word able. I want you to think, I am able to live by the Spirit. And here are four things that are part of that life. Number one, A, 
acknowledge that you can't live the Christian life by your own power. Galatians 3.3 says, are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul says that only fools think they can live the Christian life in their own strength. That's why we need Jesus and we don't just need Jesus. We have him as we look to him in dependence. And so I I wanna encourage you even each day, Before you roll out of bed, and for some of you, this is going to happen really, really naturally. You've already been saying it for years. I can't do it. I can't get out of this bed today. I need you, Jesus. Acknowledge that you can't live the Christian life by your own power. That brings me to the second thing. B, bow. Bow before the Lord as Lord. Here's what I mean by that. I mean a couple things. First, bow in submission to the Lord. That's what I take Paul to be saying in verse 18 when he says, if you are led by the Spirit. That's saying the Spirit of the Lord is in charge. He's the one who's in control. He's leading. I'm following. So acknowledge you can't live the Christian life by your own power and bow before the Lord as Lord. Say, Lord, here is my life today. You're in charge, not me. Take my life, use it for your glory. Live your life through me. Cause me to be sensitive to the leading of your spirit and to follow where you say to go. In my marriage, in my parenting, at my work, at my school. Lord, here's my life. It's yours. You take charge. You are Lord. I mean submission, but I also mean prayer. Pray for the spirit's power. Luke eleven thirteen, 13, Jesus says this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you see what he's saying? Power of the Holy Spirit and prayer go together. God says, ask, ask for spiritual power. So as you go through your day, pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. As you encounter situations where you see your need for the spiritual fruit only Jesus can bring, pray for the Spirit to produce His fruit in you. And I'm not talking about just bowing on your knees in the middle of Publix. I'm talking about in that middle of the day moment where you know you need the Spirit's power. Ask, Jesus, give me kindness. This person is challenging. You know who I sit next to. At school, you know who I encounter at work, and they challenge me. They challenge my kindness and my patience. I don't have it in me to show them love. I will not be a person of peace. Jesus, give me power. Give me words. Give me a mouth to speak or not to speak as you lead. Give me a gentle heart. Help me look at them. Lord, you know how hard it is to drive on Courtney. That's why you came 2,000 years before cars were invented. You know. You know how hard it is for me to be patient. Jesus, live in me now by the power of your spirit. Bow in prayer and submission before the Lord. L, look to the book. Guys, there's an undeniable connection between the life of the spirit and the word of God. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit wrote a book. It's a bestseller. It's called the Bible Spirit is the author of scripture, and Paul shows us something in two of his letters that connect these two things, the writing of the word of God and the power of the spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Now, keep that verse in mind because I'm going to go over to Colossians, and here's what you need to know. Colossians is almost the exact duplicate teaching as Ephesians. So if you find something in Ephesians, you're almost always going to find it correspondingly in Colossians. But when Paul writes Colossians, he takes this phrase from Ephesians and he changes the wording a little bit. Colossians 3.16 says this, let the word of Christ dwell, live in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. In Ephesians, Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Colossians, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Why would Paul equate filling of the Holy Spirit with richly dwelling with the word of God? Because the Spirit of God wrote the word of God. The Bible is the sword of the Spirit. If you want the weapon the Spirit uses, it's the word of Almighty God. So if you want to live in the fullness of the Spirit's work, fill your heart with the book he wrote. Get in the word. Look in the word. Look for promises and commands and truths to believe and obey. Psalm 1 says that when we live according to the counsel of God and his word, we will be like trees planted by streams of water that bring forth fruit in its season. If you want a filling of the Holy Spirit, get before his word, the Bible. The last thing is E, exercise your faith. Exercise your faith. Here's what I mean by that. I mean be active. Have active faith. Faith is always active. James says faith without works is dead. Step into the life the Spirit promises to empower. That goes all the way back to when Paul says walking by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. He says take steps the Spirit tells you to take. And I know there are some who say, I'm really struggling to learn how to discern when the Spirit is telling me to do something and when it's just me telling me to do something. And I know there's a lot that could be said about that. And I know we've got a barbecue lunch just waiting for us across the street. So let me just give you a little lesson in a sense on how to learn to discern the Spirit's voice so you can keep in step with where he leads. If you want to know what the Spirit is saying to you, listen to what the Spirit has already said to you. Here's what I mean by that. The Spirit has already told us how to walk by instructing us in his word. And the way you'll learn to recognize the voice of the Spirit is by hearing his voice regularly In the word, yes, spirit, that sounds like something you would say because I've heard your voice every day this week in the word. That's not making Bible reading a work that we do. It's making the Bible the food upon which we live. So step into obedience as an expression of your faith. Let me tell you this. Husbands, the spirit has already told you that you're to love your wives like Christ loved the church and live in sacrificial service like Jesus here's what stepping into obedience looks like. Believing that the Holy Spirit will give you power and kneeling before your wife in sacrificial love. Serving them. Going home and serving them. Exercising your faith depending on the Spirit. The Spirit has told wives to honor their husbands 
with respect. And if you're a wife, that means the Spirit's already spoken to you. So step into obedience in depending on the Spirit. The Spirit's already told children to obey their parents. So if you're a child, step into obedience as you depend on the Spirit. Listen to what he's already said in his word, and you will learn to discern how he's speaking to you individually as he leads your life. Let me just ask you this. What makes you think that you would do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do today if you're not willing to do what he's already said? So don't make this a mystery game. The Spirit has spoken clearly in his word, the Bible, and you'll learn to discern his voice as you take his word into your life and step in by faith. So church, live in the Spirit today. You are able, when you acknowledge you can't in your own power, and you bow before the Lord in submission and prayer, and you look to the book that the Spirit wrote, the Bible, and you exercise faith by stepping into obedience as you depend on the Spirit because the Spirit of Christ produces the character of Christ. We don't produce it as we depend on His power and not our own. May this week be filled with the Spirit working in you. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus and the Spirit of God has been stirring you, showing you the life Jesus offers, a life full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, and your heart longs to be filled with that kind of life, the life of Jesus, and you've never placed your faith in Jesus right now, right now, would you call on Jesus to save you? Acknowledge your sin, that you've sinned against God and your life is broken in sin. That you cannot make yourself right. You can't save yourself. And in prayer, call on Jesus, trusting in faith that he has done for you all the work to provide for your forgiveness and your restoration and your transformation. Don't leave this place without knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. For those of you who say, I'm trusting in Jesus, is there a place in your life where you see the need for spiritual power? Maybe you've been living like a Christmas tree Christian, and you're tired and you're weary. You feel yourself withering. Would you ask for the power of the Holy Spirit? That you would believe this truth, the truth of the gospel. And is there a place in your life where you see your need for our particular characteristic of the Spirit's fruit. Maybe you're struggling with joylessness, struggling with self-control or impatience. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to fill your life with power that you would look to Jesus 
Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, those gathered in this room, those joining us online, I pray that our hearts would be filled with faith. Lord, we don't want to live fake Christian lives. We don't want to live empty and unsatisfied. We don't want to live withering on the inside while we feel increasing pressure to look like we're thriving on the outside. We don't want that, Lord. And Father, we praise you that you don't want that. That's why you gave us Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you would fill us with faith to believe Jesus. That not only did he give his life for us, he'll live his life through us by the power of the Holy Spirit and let us lean hard on Christ today. Help us to walk out of this room changed from the inside out more and more and more like Jesus. And Lord, be exalted in us by the work that only you can do in us as your spirit produces Christ's life in us. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name.